should be a little bit shorter than this, this afternoon than I was this morning, but I hope that you'll get something from the message uh, that we talk about this afternoon. We're going to take our main text from Psalms 121, but before we get there, I want to give you a little background to this psalm. Um, I've been doing a lot of study on King Hezekiah re- recently. I've done uh, four different sermons on him, and, and this is actually one of the, the later uh, sermons in that series. But I think there's a lot of really good stuff to get out of the story of Hezekiah. So um, here's a map of the Assyrian Empire. And well before King Hezekiah, um, there were several kings of Assyria that started this westward expansion from Babylon to expand the borders of Assyria. And this started happening somewhere around 745 B.C. Um, The purple area up there is where Nineveh is. that's the, the capital of Assyria. And Tiglath-Pileser, I think it's the, the third, um, begins that expansion. Then his son, Sargon II, takes over um, and expands into the green area there. Um, and you can see just every time one of these kings take, takes over, the borders of the Assyrian Empire just get a little bit bigger. And then down here in the brown area, down where Jerusalem is, um, Sennacherib, um, the son of Sargon II takes over and begins to invade into Judah and ultimately into the capital there, which is Jerusalem, uh, where God's people is and where the capital, uh, where the king, king resides there in Jerusalem. So, um, as Sennacherib takes his troops, um, they begin this southward descent into Judah. And he goes down right next to the Mediter- Mediterranean Sea. You can see the arrows there. And they are starting to turn this, this northern, northeastern way up, um, but they have to go through Lachish first. And so they do that. We're going to read about Lachish here in just a second. Um, this is a picture, an artist's depiction um, of what Lachish, the city of Lachish, looks like. Very heavily uh, guarded city. It's high up on this hill. Very difficult to try and invade this city. Um, this was really a, a mainstay of, of the of one of the bigger defenses there in Judah. And so this is something that Hezekiah and and really all of Judah relies on heavily for defense. And so this is Sennacherib's, this is his first big battle inside inside Judah as he's trying to take over this area. And so this is what Hezekiah does in 2 Chronicles 32 verses 6 through 7. He set military commanders over the people, gathered the people in the square of the city gate, He encouraged them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged before the king of Assyria, before the large army that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. And last time, uh, or the the sermon before this that I normally preach, we go over that that entire battle that's happening here. And this king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has 185,000 people, 185,000 men, that are attacking the city and that's what what happens and um, tonight uh, or this afternoon we're going to look at my help comes from the Lord I get I'm strong and courageous that strength and courage that comes from God Um, in the last sermon um, in this series we find out that that King Hezekiah he trusts in God and those hundred and eighty five thousand people that are taking over and that just took over Lachish and they're heading towards Jerusalem, we find out that God destroys all of these people. No loss of life for anyone in Israel, but 185,000 people are destroyed by God to protect Jerusalem. 
um, showing that God is protecting his people. So this afternoon, we're going to read Psalms 121. My help comes from the Lord. I think this is a really, really powerful psalm. And I think that as we read through this and understand it, I hope that it's going to give you, um, I hope that you'll go to God for your strength and for your help, that you won't look at all these other things that people seek after, but that you'll truly seek after God. Because God's willing to help us, and He's wanting to help us. He's given us many different tools if we will seek Him, and we have, but we have to let Him help. So let's read that psalm. It's only eight verses. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never sleep, nor slumber, nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so if you're reading in your Bible or if you're looking at it on your phone, the heading for this psalm is a psalm of ascents. And so I read that and I really never had understood what that meant, what a psalm of ascents was. So I started doing some reading and digging into this. And it was a, a group of psalms. There's 15 different psalms that are categorized as a psalm of ascents, starting in Psalms 120, and it goes all the way through Psalms 134. And just like our songbooks have uh, different topics, and, and you can go to the front of the book, and you can see the different topics that our songbook is kind of grouped into, that's how the psalms were, were arranged. And so this Psalms 120 through 134, they're psalms of ascents. These songs were meant to be songs of encouragement, um, and it was for people who were wanting to sing praises and sing worship to God. These songs, if you read through all of them, they were songs that were sung in difficult times, but also psalms that were sung during times of, of great worship or, or great festivals. And a lot of times these psalms would, would be read as people were journeying to Jerusalem to worship God uh, for multiple uh, different festivals or, or feasts that they were going to be attending. Um, one of the other things why it's called a psalm of ascent is you would have to ascend into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was at, at a high up in the hills, um, coming from the Mediterranean on the east or, or from the north, as I'll show you in a minute. Um, you would ascend up into Jerusalem. So these were called psalms of ascents as you go and you ascend into Jerusalem. I read one place that uh, Psalms 121 is categorized as a soldier's song as well as a traveler's hymn. And so it was something that, that really applied in, in all types of different um, lives, all situations through life. And I think that, that we can see that uh, for us as well. And so uh, the first two verses, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so I look at that first phrase there, I lift my eyes to the hills. And this kind of goes back to the, the Psalm of Ascents thing that I, I was mentioning earlier. These hills or these mountains, they became synonymous with God. And this was a reference to Jerusalem um, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And I'll show you why with this map. Uh, this is a, a map of uh, the terrain, and the, the high, how high um, something is, the elevation. Um, you can see in the green, so all around the Dead Sea, um, that is 1,292 feet below sea level. Um, so well below um, where sea level is, and you would have to climb several thousand feet 
to get up to where Jerusalem was. Even if you came from the west by the Mediterranean, um, these low-level low plains, you would still climb high up into the hills as you would uh, venture up into Jerusalem. And so uh, these hills were synonymous with God. Jerusalem was where God, God's temple was. This is where God's people came to worship. And so um, when the writer here in Psalms 121 writes about, I lift my eyes to the hills, that's where God is. I lift my eyes to where God is residing there in Jerusalem. Verse 2, um, he says, From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so in verse 1, he, he asks this rhetorical question, Where does my help come from? And the thing about a rhetorical question is you normally don't answer it, but he does in this psalm. And he basically says, Your help doesn't just come from anyone. He doesn't come from just, just a human or, or some some nobody he comes from your help comes from the creator the person who know, knew how to make you and I've got two verses to kind of expand on that the first one's in Psalm 90 um, possibly that possible that Moses wrote this he says before the mountains were born before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity you are God and then Jeremiah writes it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And so you think about human understanding, and we've accomplished a lot as humans. There's a lot of knowledge, a lot of things that, that man has made. I mean, technology is, is crazy that we've made, but there's no man who knows how to make the heavens and the earth. No man has that kind of understanding to, to create something like that. And so this tells me these psalm, this psalm here, the Jeremiah and Psalms 121, it tells me that surely the God who made me knows how to help me, knows, knows um, what to do whenever I have problems. And so uh, he goes on in verse 3. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, not, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So the first part there, he will not let your foot be moved. And I don't, I, I, none of us think that, that we're never going to be hurt, that we're never going to have problems. Because that's certainly not the case, and that's not a principle that the Bible teaches. But let's clarify Psalms 121 verse 3 with another psalm in verse, uh, Psalm 37. The writer writes, The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hands. Upholds, ups, upholds his hand. And so, certainly, we're still going to fall. But, when you're established, established in the Lord, though he fall, even when we do fall, we, sh we won't be cast headlong. God's going to be there to protect us from this, this ultimate defeat. And he is the ultimate comforter. But for the Lord upholds his hand. For, for us to, uh, for God to grab our hands, we have to be looking to, to be upheld by the comforter. So we need to be stretching out our hand, waiting for God and looking for God to comfort us. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. And as humans... Um, we get tired. We understand what it means to be exhausted and not to be able to stay awake sometimes. And I think about the story of Elijah, the prophet. And these prophets of Ahab are coming to Elijah 
and they're kind of mocking him, saying that, that your God's not powerful. And, and they go, do have this back and forth um, thing going. And he, Elijah sets up this experiment. And let's read about that experiment uh, in, verse eight, in chapter 18, verse 21 of 1 Kings. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? These people had, had been going to these, these lowercase gods, and they'd want, been wanting to go back and worship the true God. And Elijah's saying, I'm done with it. You need to choose who, who you're going to follow. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. It goes on in verse 23. Elijah states, let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose, talking about the prophets of Baal, let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. Put no fire to it. Then I will prepare the other bull and I'll lay it on the, the wood and put no fire to it. And he says, whoever's God or whichever pile of wood is consumed in fire, that's who the true God is. And I just imagine putting myself in, in the prophets of Baal in their mindset because they had never seen their God do this. They've never seen anything miraculous like this happening. And so they can't expect that to actually happen now. But Isaiah, uh, yeah, Isaiah knows, or Elijah knows exactly what's going to happen. And so um, he mocks them in verse 27. At, at noon, Elijah mocked them after nothing had happened to their fire. Elijah mocks them, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And this is in the ESV. And, and we trust the ESV for a lot of things. And, and for Elijah to suggest that their God's on a bathroom break, that, that's pretty humiliating. And he goes on to say, maybe he's, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. And so it's a terribly embarrassing thing for Elijah to suggest that their God's just not there. That their God doesn't care. That he's asleep even. You think about a, a watchman. And back then, it was so important to have a watchman because you didn't have security alarms. You didn't have this way to keep the, the perimeter safe unless someone was, was watching. And so a watchman had to be on guard at all times throughout the night. And it'd be a terrible thing to draw the short straw to have to stay up all night because it's hard to stay awake throughout the night when you're tired. And you, you think about the disciples. Jesus is in the, the garden and, and he says, watch with me, stay awake with me. But several times he goes back and he finds them asleep. And so as humans, we understand what it means to be tired. God doesn't understand that. That's not something that God has to deal with because he's always watching, he's always awake. A couple weeks ago, I had a coworker who, uh, she was driving home from work and she fell asleep at the wheel, rolled her car, totaled her car. Thankfully, she's fine, but bad situation we've been in we've all probably felt that way when we've been driving at some point it's just so difficult to stay awake but God does that's not a problem God has and we can rest assured that he's always going to be there regardless of when, what time it is he's never he's never asleep he's always protecting verse 6 there in Psalms 121 the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade on your right hand the sun shall not strike you by by day nor the moon by night. And these people understood what shade meant. They didn't have air conditioner like we have. They didn't have ice cubes to put in their drink to keep them cool. And so 
Um, it was a great comfort to have shade, to have something to protect you from the sun. And that's what the, the psalmist here is writing. He's saying, he's going to protect you. God is going to protect you um, through these terrible situations, whether that's through heat or, or whatever. Um, but the Lord is illustrating how great, or the prophet here is, the psalmist here is illustrating how great God is as a protector. And he uses the, the sun and moon at the bottom of this. And he says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the, the moon by night. And certainly the moon is not going to cause a sunburn. But he uses two polar opposites here, the, the day, the sun during the day and the moon at night, to express totality. That no matter the situation, no matter the time of day, God is going to be able to protect you, day or night. And then the last two verses in this psalm, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so, of course, like I said earlier, this isn't to suggest that we're not going to have problems because we certainly will. But God is going to be there to guide us through those problems and help us get through those. I want to look quickly at Romans 8. Um, and we're going to come back to this here in a little bit, but I just want to put this in with, with this, these last two verses in Psalms 121. And we know that, those, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And certainly we understand that, that all things work together for good. And that doesn't necessarily mean for our good, but for the, God, for the good of what God determines is good. And we're going to come back to that um, here in just a few minutes. He, he goes on to say, um, in verse 8, from your going out and your coming in. So whether, um, and this is another example of totality. He uses two opposites, whether you're going out or going in. And whether you're in your comfort zone, whether you're at your house where it's safe and you feel safe, or whether you're going out um, to work or school or whatever, God's going to protect you in that situation, but also when you're at your house. So in all situations, God's there for you. And then the last thing that he says in this psalm, this psalm as he wraps up, from this time forth and forevermore. And the writer talks about the future. Not only is he going to protect you now, whatever situation you're in now, but he's going to protect you forever. And I hope that as his children, that's something that we take hope in and that we trust and that we, we, we truly understand and believe. So just as a summary of this, um, the Lord is your helper. That's what he talks about in the first two verses. The Lord is your protector, and the Lord will keep your life. And going back to King Hezekiah, he understood this. Hezekiah certainly understood this. I mean, you think about 185,000 people standing outside your gates of Jerusalem, and you look out, and there's just this numerous amount of people that are trying to, to overthrow your city. I mean, that would scare you to death. And... Certainly, God took care of him in that situation. Right after that happens, right after that battle takes place or, or doesn't take place, after God delivers them, um, Hezekiah gets deathly sick. And this, this next part that we're going to read, when, when Hezekiah becomes deathly ill, it's possible that that even happened during this battle. It's just really hard to know. Um, this is in 2 Kings 20, verse 1. Immediately after um, that delivery from this large army takes place, it's, it's written, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. So it could be at that time or it could be several months or even years later. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. 
And I, I can't imagine a prophet of God coming to you and, and saying, set your house in order. Get ready to die, because it's going to happen. And that's just terrifying to think about. But what would you do if you were in this case? They say the prophet of God comes to you and says, you've only got a few days to live. Set your house in order. That's a, a terrifying thought. But where, where does Hezekiah turn to? Because back then it was, it was pretty typical to go to healers, to magicians, to other gods. What does Hezekiah do? Verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Is this your reaction when things go terrible? When illness comes upon us and, and we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of our life? Do we turn immediately to God or do we, do we go to all these other things? Hezekiah's response was, my help comes from the Lord. And that's exactly who he turns to. And he prays to, to the Lord. And he begins this prayer that we're going to read in just a second. But what faith? I mean, that's amazing faith when you're, when you're facing death to turn to God and to pray to God. And I hope we have that much trust in God. So verse 3, this is part of that prayer. Hezekiah says, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And so Hezekiah asked God to look back at his life. And up until this point, the Bible doesn't record a single sin, a single thing that Hezekiah had done wrong. In fact, it only sings his praises of everything that he had done to benefit the kingdom of God, to benefit these, these uh, people of Israel. Hezekiah took over after his father Ahab. And Ahab was an evil, evil man. And um, he, after he takes over at an early age, he reopens the temple. The temple of God had been shut down for, for years and years and years. In fact, people didn't even know what it meant to worship God anymore. He reestablished the Passover. He reestablished the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they, they celebrate that two different times over a period of two weeks because they're so excited to do that. He tears down all the idols um, in Judah. And not only does he tear down the, the the high places and the idols in Judah, but he goes into Israel and tears down the high places of Israel as well as Judah. And so not only does he go in his country, but he's doing this throughout the world. And that's how, how, how much he loved God and how much he wanted to do what was right. And he continues to worship and to praise God. And he gets the people on board with what he's doing. And they worship and praise God. He trusted in God when 100, 185,000 men are about to destroy Jerusalem. Certainly, Hezekiah had done a lot of great things for God. And that, that's what he says here. I've done what is good in your sight. Please remember this, God. And he, and he talks to God, and he prays to God, and he trusts in God uh, with that. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And, and certainly, he's overcome with emotion. He's been told that he's only got a, hours, days, who knows how long to live. The most powerful man in all of Judah, the most powerful man over God's people, just weeps. He's overcome with emotion. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what, what's, what his life is, is going to, how long he's got left. With all this pain, disease, suffering that Hezekiah is going through, he gets his help from the Lord. So what happens next? And this is what, uh, what uh, Isaiah says to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. 
On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out, out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my, my servant David's sake. And so Hezekiah turns to the Lord, and amazingly, he's granted 15 more years of his life to reign as king over, over Judah. If he would have turned anywhere else, if he would have turned to any of these healers, magicians, other gods, certainly that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have been granted 15 more years of life. He would have died. And God, but thankfully, God granted him 15 more years of life because of the faith that he had. You remember the, the last verse in our, our Psalm 121, the Lord will keep you, you're going out, you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's certainly something that King Hezekiah understood. And that's something we understand too. God certainly doesn't come anymore to prophets and grant people extended life. That, that doesn't happen anymore. But what does he do? Because this psalm tells me that from, from the, the time of Psalm 121 up until now, God's going to protect me. He's going to be there for me. He's going to be there to keep me. And I mentioned we go back to Romans chapter 8. And I want to spend the, the remainder of our time uh, just in these few verses. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also be with also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 36, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to, the, to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm not sure that neither... For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor creation, else in all, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does God protect us forevermore like Psalms 121 verse 8 say? He gave us His Son. And Christ is, is there. And th this is such a, a powerful set of verses we're more than conquerors out there. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And we can be more than conquerors through Christ and the love that Christ has for us. Our help, our comfort comes through Christ. God protects us eternally through, from a fiery death in hell. And so we are certainly thankful for that. So this afternoon, where do you get your help from? Every day people turn to drugs, turn to addictions, turn to uh, alcohol, pornography, all kinds of, of sad addictions for, their, for help. And certainly that help is not a permanent help. But we can be thankful that God offers us permanent help through His Son. So where is He in line for you? What place does God stand for you? Is He first? Is He somewhere in the middle? Is He the last thing that you turn to? And I hope that that as you evaluate yourself, as you evaluate your life and where you turn to, that you can answer that honestly. And the final verse that I want to read is in 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on, on Him because He cares for you. All your problems, all your concerns, all your cares, all your struggles, all your worries and anxieties, cast them on Him. Because he cares. He's strong enough to want to do something about it, and he's loving enough to care to do something about it. And I hope that, that as you go through life, as you think about the struggles and anxieties that you have, 
I hope that you truly will uh, cast your cares on him because he cares for you like that verse says there. And this afternoon, I hope that you can confidently say that my help comes from the Lord. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. And in order to be able to say that my help comes from the Lord, you have to be a child of his. You have to, to be a Christian. You have to have been baptized and know who Christ is. And so this afternoon, if we can, if we can accomplish that for you, we would love to help baptize you uh, to become a member of Christ Church. And so if we can help you with that, or if there's anything, any anxieties, any problems, or any struggles that the church can help you with, we'd love to do that this afternoon as we stand and sing our invitation song.